Grab the full-page outline that you have in your brochure. Let's get right into our study today. Malachi chapter 3, this is a verse that we looked at. If you don't know, we're on part 5 of this series that we've been talking about, blessed, and how God desires to bless our lives. And last week, we began to talk about how God desires to bless our lives, but there's some involvement that we have in, in that process. And we brought out a passage, Malachi chapter 3, verse 10, and I thought it would be a good one for us to look at again today. It says this, the Lord says, if you do, come on, say those three words with me. If you do, okay, this side was really great. Let's try it on this side. Here we go, ready? If you do, there you go, all together. If you do, says the Lord, I will open the windows of heaven for you. I will pour out a blessing so great you won't have enough room to take it in. Now, I don't know about you, but when I read that, it sounds like a contract to me. If you do this, I will do this. If you do this, God will do this. But God doesn't form contracts. God didn't form a contract with the nation of Israel. God didn't form a contract with the New Testament church, which we're a part of. God doesn't sign contracts. Throughout the Old Testament and the New Testament, God makes what's called a covenant with us. It's interesting, if you want to know some modern-day covenants, one would be your marriage vows. That's a covenant. The other is the Declaration of Independence. I don't know if you'd realize that, but that was a covenant, not a contract. So these, these interesting things of, of contract versus covenant, it's really interesting because a covenant has four distinguishing characteristics. I've got them listed as bullet points on your outline, so you don't have to fill them in, but I want you to see them, that first, only God initiates a covenant in the Bible. Covenants always come from God to man in the Bible, never the other way around. Next, God only um, determines the terms of the covenant. The terms of the covenant are set exclusively by God. Man cannot change, cannot add to, cannot delete any of the terms. We either have the choice of accepting or rejecting the terms. And then those last two, that God only enters into a relationship through a covenant, and God only enters into a covenant through a blood sacrifice. You see that throughout Scripture, Old Testament and New Testament. By the way, it's just really interesting, the Greek word testament is actually the word covenant in Greek. So we actually don't have an Old Testament and New Testament of the Bible. We have an Old Covenant and a New Covenant of the Bible. And what's interesting is Jesus talks about that in what we read, the scripture that we read, to celebrate communion. Take a look at what Jesus says. This cup is the new covenant between God and his people, an agreement confirmed with my blood, which is poured out as a sacrifice for you. Interesting. So we have this choice to live in a covenant agreement, a covenant, I like to say, relationship, a covenant relationship with God. And we need to understand that a covenant is not an empty ritual to God by any means. It is a sacred commitment that God sets up in a relationship with us. And God expects us to abide by the terms of the covenant as we are in relationship with him. A covenant is all about relationship more than anything else. God desires to have a relationship with you, with me. So about 4,000 years ago, the Lord said to Abraham, leave your native country, your relatives, your father's family, and go to the land that I will show you. Let's read this last part together. And I will bless you. Come on, read it with me. I will bless you, and you will be a blessing to others. We've been using this passage throughout 
this series. And so God, we see, reached out to Abraham and began this covenant relationship with him. And in Genesis 15, verse 18, it says that the Lord made a covenant with Abraham. You can read the details of that covenant if you'd like to in Genesis 15 there. So, so God not only established a covenant with Abraham, but then he also offered up this covenant relationship with the entire nation of Israel through his prophet and leader, Moses. Take a look at Deuteronomy 28. Moses says, you will experience all these blessings if you obey the Lord your God. Your towns, your fields will be blessed. Your children, your crops will be blessed. Wherever you go, whatever you do, you will be blessed. The Lord will guarantee a blessing on everything you do. If you obey the commands of the Lord your God and walk in his ways, the Lord will establish you as his people. Do you see the covenant terms there? If you do this, the Lord God will do this. But despite all of what God did for the people of Israel and his people, the people failed to keep the terms of the covenant. The people chose my way instead of God's way. And that's what the Old Testament writings of the prophet Malachi are all about. It's this emphasis of covenant, a covenant with God, calling the people to experience God's blessing. And so Malachi 3, I just want you to know, in church world, I was raised in church, and in church world, the book of Malachi is always associated with money. But it's, it's way bigger than money. It's about a relationship that God wants to have with us in covenant. And so um, understanding that and helping us to understand that a little bit more, I thought it would be good for us to, to kind of step into this writing of the prophet Malachi and gain this understanding. So Malachi opens up with a look at the covenant God. And I want you to see that this is the very first part of the, of the writings of the prophet Malachi. So he's not even talking about money or anything else, not tithing, anything like that. He's talking about the covenant relationship in Malachi 1, verse 1. Take a look. This is the message the Lord gave to Israel through the prophet Malachi. I have always loved you says the Lord. He starts off with this um, love expression. God is saying, no matter what you've done, no matter where you've gone, no matter the choices that you have made, I have always loved you. Now here's the kicker. A covenant is really different than a contract. And this isn't in the notes, so don't follow me, Anthony. A covenant is different than a contract because a contract, if one person fails the terms of the contract, guess what? The contract is... Help me out. Broken. It's deleted. It's no good. It's nullified. But with a covenant, a covenant is different, especially a covenant with God like the Bible shows us. A covenant with God, God still loves us. Even if we break the rules, the terms of the covenant, it doesn't change the fact that God loves you. And it's hard for us to get our mind around that because in a relationship, if somebody doesn't really live out their end of the relationship, it's hard for us to still love them, isn't it? It's hard for us to embrace them and still want to be around them. We want to avoid them. And yet with God, God is saying, I have always loved you. You, you have not kept the terms of our covenant relationship, but I have always loved you. I still love you. In fact, I want you to get this down. God loves me and wants the best for me. 
This is so important for us to catch out of the prophet's writings in Malachi. God loves me and wants the best for me. Say it with me. God loves me and wants the best for me. That's something that if we could grab onto today, that could change our entire attitude, our approach on life. To realize that God loves us and he's constantly looking to provide the best in our lives. Before God ever discusses anything else about the covenant and about what they have done regarding the covenant, he makes it very clear to his people and I think to us today that he loves us and that he always wants the best for us. See, God knows what's best. God knows that his blessing in our life is what's best, that he knows that his blessing can come our way if we begin to live our life by certain principles. And so that's why then in the rest of the, of the, uh, the writing of Malachi, he challenges and confronts us. He, he wants us to live this life, to lead to his blessings. And so then he steps into this confrontation. Malachi chapter 1 verse 6 says this, the Lord says, A son honors his father, and a servant respects his master. If I am your father and master, where are the honor and respect I deserve? God says, you have shown contempt for my name. Basically, God is saying, I have have loved you so much, and I have offered you so much, and yet you have taken this love for granted. God is telling his people that that you have said by your actions that my love for you is not such a big deal. You're coming to me, never coming to me with the same kind of love that I am offering you. And because you're not choosing to live life within the framework of my love, you're experiencing life a lot harder than it's supposed to be. Because you're not living according to the love relationship, the covenant relationship that I want to establish with you, God is saying, you're living life a lot harder than I intended for it to be for you. See, God loves you so much that he will do everything in his power to get you into a relationship with him. You know why? So that he can bless you. It's true. And yet we have a tendency to live our lives indifferently and apathetic as kids. Ah, uh, who cares? I'm going to do, do my own thing. I'm going to live my own life. I want to do my life my way. And God is crying out to his people in Malachi saying, do you realize what you're doing? I think he's crying out to some of us today. Do you realize what you're doing? You're missing out on really being in a relationship with me. So he wants to get our attention. He wants to get our attention so that we can come back to him. He wants us to to realize that as we live our own lives, as we live separate from this love relationship that he has for us, we are stepping outside of his covering, outside of his love. And so we begin to experience the harsh realities of life in a sinful world, and we struggle and we have no fulfillment and no meaning because we're experiencing life without God. and without what he wants to do in our lives. That's what the book of Malachi is all about. God's telling us that he loves us so much that he wants to give us the best in life. But you and I have a choice. Tell your neighbor you have a choice. Would you tell him that? You have a choice. 
We have a choice in this. The writings of Malachi outline some areas of how God's people had got off track in their relationship with God and how they're missing out on God's blessing. And what this does for me when I look through the book of Malachi is it challenges me with a question. I want you to write this question down, and this is a key question for us today. Am I giving God my best? Am I giving God my best? The people's approach was what is the least that I can do, that I can give God? What is the least? But we need to ask the question, am I giving God my best? Let's continue reading Malachi 1. We see God's response. You have shown contempt by offering defiled sacrifices on my altar. You defile them by saying that the altar of the Lord deserves no respect. When you give blind animals as sacrifices, isn't that wrong? And isn't it wrong to offer animals that are crippled and diseased? Try giving gifts like that to your governor and see how pleased he is, says the Lord. How I wish one of you would shut the temple doors so that these worthless sacrifices could not be offered. I am not pleased with you, says the Lord, and I will not accept your offerings. So let me kind of unpack this a little bit. In Old Testament times, people worshiped God through animal sacrifices. We know that in the New Testament, Jesus came, became the one sacrifice for all time. He died on a cross. He covered that. And so we know that things changed in the New Testament. That's why we no longer worship through animal sacrifices. In their, in their time, in this stage, what God was talking about is instead of giving God first-class offerings, the best that they have, the people would give him the second-rate stuff, the leftovers, with this attitude of, who cares? I'm just giving it to God. Does it really matter? And this is the age-old question that creeps into our minds. It's this question of minimum requirements. You know, this week I was thinking about this whole idea of minimum requirements, and I was, I was wondering if we lived by the same minimum requirements that we give God, and we approach God with, if we lived that way in other areas of our life, how would it affect us? For instance, let's say we give our job the same amount of time that we give God in our week. How would that affect us? Now, I'm not saying that you should spend 40 hours a week in prayer and, you know, run away to a mountain. So I'm not saying any of that. I just... I guess I'm questioning, are we living our lives for God and with God, in relationship with him, are we living our lives with this minimum requirement approach? Just enough to get by. Well, if I get to church one week out of the month, I'm good, right, God? Is that good enough? If, if I say a prayer at bedtime with my kid, is that good enough to be considered prayer for my week. If, if I give a few bucks to a homeless guy, is that good enough to be generosity in my life that you call me to? Everybody follow me on this? Are we giving our best? Remember that question? Am I giving my best to God? Hmm. Minimum requirements. I, I think that's 
I think that's the wrong question to be asking. What is the least I can do? Asking the minimum requirement question doesn't show love for God. This is, this is not a question of love or adoration or devotion to God. I mean, if you're married in the room, how would you like your spouse to live by only the minimum requirements of showing love to you? That wouldn't set too well with me and my wife, I'm, I know right now. Right? And yet that's the way we approach God. I think this is a question, minimum requirements, it's a question of apathy and indifference toward God. But look at God's call in, in Malachi 3, verse 6. God says, I am the Lord, and I do not change. Let me just stop and just back us up to, remember verse 2 of chapter 1, where God says, I have loved you, I have always loved you. He's, he's saying, I am the Lord, I, I do not change. I still love you the way that I have always loved you. Look what he says. The, that is why you are not already destroyed. He's saying, this is why you have not experienced, hang on, the full consequences of your choices. Because I still love you. And there's this big thing called grace in God's economy. And I don't know about you, but grace is amazing. I think it's amazing and it has been amazing in my life. Right now, I'm going through my personal quiet time, Psalm 105, 106, 107. If you don't know those, those are considered the Thanksgiving um, Psalms. And it's all about give thanks for what he has done. Give thanks to the Lord for all he has provided. Give thanks to the Lord. It's all of this kind. And so for the last several days, I've just been writing down things. And something I wrote yesterday morning was, God, I would not be where I am today if it wasn't for your grace. Because there's so many times that my choices deserved severe consequences. And yet, I didn't see the full brunt of it. And maybe you're in the same boat. Maybe you could say, oh man, yeah. There were some choices that I've made in my past that I really could have been messed up. I wonder, is that God's grace being poured out? I think it is. God's grace being poured out in our life. Even though we're not experiencing what we're deserving, God says, this is why you're not already destroyed. Because of my love, because of my grace in your life, you're not already destroyed. Look what he says. Ever since the days of your ancestors, you have scorned my decrees and failed to obey them. Now return to me and I will return to you, says the Lord. This word return, circle that word return. This is a great word. It means to repent. It means to turn around, to do a 180. It, it means to come at things differently. It's time for new approaches, to change the route that I have been taking in life. That's what God is saying here. Every time, friends, listen, every time God speaks of judgment and consequences from wrong choices that we make, he always adds in, change, repent, turn around, come back to me. He's always bringing us back to himself. He brings judgment, but he says, you can find grace and mercy. When you come back, and so the people are asked the or begin to ask the question, okay, God, how do we return to you? What are we supposed to do to change the direction, the route, the road that we're on right now? What are we supposed to do to change? 
It's interesting that in Acts 26, it talks about this whole idea of repentance and turning and changing. Look at it in verse 20. All must repent of their sins and turn to God and prove they have changed by the good things they do. I don't know if you ever thought about repentance in this way. Repentance is more than confession. Confession is, God, I have done this wrong. Whatever it is, I've done this wrong. Please forgive me. I receive your forgiveness that you give through Jesus. That's what 1 John tells us, that, that we can accept that and receive that. As we confess our sins, he is faithful to forgive our sins. That's confession. But repentance is the next step. The repentance is, I'm going to change what I'm doing. I'm not going to keep going down that road. I'm not going to ask for a show of hands, but I wonder how many of us, we confess and we keep going in the same direction. And then we confess again and we keep going in the same direction. And the enemy wants to, wants to tell us, oh, God will forgive you anyway. It doesn't really matter. Just go ahead keep doing it. No, God is saying, I'll, I'll forgive you, but I want you to repent. I want you to change. I want you to go a different route, a different road. There needs to be change when there's confession for it to be repentance. Change always accompanies repentance. I mean, we know this to be true, right? If somebody comes to you, let's say they've done something wrong to you. They've offended you in some way or they, they haven't come through. Maybe they didn't show up when they told you they were going to be there. Whatever the case, we've all had that experience. And a person comes to you and they say, I'm so sorry, I'm so sorry, please forgive me. And you go, you know what? I forgive you. It's happened to me before, sure, no problem. So the next time that they're supposed to meet you, they don't show up again. Oh, I'm so sorry. Please forgive me. Please forgive me. Next time, they don't show up again. After a while, you begin to see a pattern, right? right? Everybody with me on that? You begin to see a pattern, and, and you're thinking, you know, I'm not really excited about this right now because you keep saying you're going to show up and you're not showing up. You keep saying, please forgive me for what I said to you, but you keep saying those words. You, you say, forgive me for what I've done, but you keep doing these actions. We all know that if it's real, if they're really sorry, they're going to change, right? Change always accompanies repentance. I've discovered that you can know if someone is serious when they begin asking the question, what do I need to do to change? Hmm. They're no longer trying to justify what they're doing. They're no longer trying to blame somebody else. It's, well, it wasn't really my, it was traffic. I just couldn't get there. No, they stopped that. So, so the people were asking God, what do we need to do to change. And look at what God says in Malachi 3.8. You have cheated me of the tithes and offerings due to me. Uh, if you don't know, you can circle that word tithe. What that means is 10%. You could just put that on your outline somewhere. 10%. A tithe literally means a tenth. It's a, a tithe is 10% of your income. In fact, we see in uh, Leviticus 27, one-tenth of the produce of the land, that's all the income, belongs to the Lord and must be set apart to him as holy. Moses tells us, bring the tithe before the Lord your God at the place he shall choose as his sanctuary. The purpose of tithing is to teach you always to put God first in your lives. At Pathway, we practice this. We practice giving 10% to God. It's called tithing. 
We practice this principle. In fact, if, if you've ever seen these boxes off to the side that say giving boxes on each side of our sanctuary, these are the ways that we do it. We take one of those little offering envelopes, giving envelopes, and we give. The use that are involved in this process with my family, we, we do this. We give to God um, 10% tithing. I've done this for a long time. And the thing that I have experienced, come and talk to me, the thing that I have experienced is God always comes through. And for you that are involved in this whole tithing experience with God in this relationship, you know what I'm talking about. God always comes through. When you are faithful to give to him, he is always faithful to bless you above and beyond what you do. Always. So I have this illustration that I've used for years about tithing. Some of you that have been a part of Pathway, you've probably seen me use this before. But um, have you ever had someone bring a meal over to you? Let's say you're sick or whatever, and they bring a meal over to you. Chances are they're going to bring you a casserole, right? This is a vegan casserole, actually. I picked the vegan one out because I was scrolling through those. But anyway, you know, they bring you a casserole. They bring you a casserole dish. They want you to enjoy this. And when they bring over the casserole, let me ask you a question. What are they doing? They are giving you the casserole to eat, right? Everybody with me so far? It's pretty simple, right? They're giving you the casserole to eat, but not the dish, right? I mean, unless it's like a throwaway dish, but we're in that era. But, you know, for the most part, it's like a glass dish. They're They're not giving you the dish. And this one, I'm really surprised it's not marked. My wife normally has coffee on some of our dishes, you know, so that they, guess what? They come back. When someone brings over a casserole for you, they're not giving you the dish, just the contents in the dish, right? Everybody with me on that? So they expect you to eat as much as you can of that casserole to enjoy it. They want you to enjoy it. They want you to to take the leftovers and put it in Tupperware or something, put it in your fridge. But then when you're done with the casserole, what do they expect you to do with the dish? Wash it. Yeah, that's, that's true. Okay, that's a good answer. Bring it back, washed, right? Bring it, bring it back, right? Return the dish. Say that with me. Return the dish. So, so if you bring your neighbor, right, sitting next to you, a casserole, what do you want them to do? Say it to them. Return, come on, tell your neighbor, return the dish. Bring it back, right? Bring it back. If you keep the, the casserole dish... And I don't know what you're going to do with it. Maybe, you know, you're going to store things in it. You're going to make a new dog bowl for your puppy. I mean, I don't, I don't know what you're going to do with Whatever you do with the dish, how many of you would agree that keeping the dish is rude? I think it's rude. It's discourteous. I mean, this person was really going out of their way to provide something for you. And it's rude. They never intended on giving you the dish, just the contents. And so it is with our tithe. God gives you an awesome casserole to enjoy. All of your income. He gives you an awesome blessing to enjoy. But then he expects for you to send the casserole dish back. Is that a great analogy? 
of tithe? Why would you want to send, why would God want us to send the dish back? Now let's just think. If, if Carol brought us an awesome, awesome casserole, okay? And, and, and we ate it. There wasn't even any leftovers for Tupperware, Carol. I mean, it was just like, my family just devoured it. And, and so we're giving her back the dish in hopes. Wait, wait, what was that, Bill? That she fills it up again, right? Make that good casserole again for us because we really enjoyed it, right? I mean, wouldn't you, wouldn't you think there is a reason for God to ask that you would return your tithe, the dish. It's not because he's trying to be stingy. I mean, honestly, he doesn't even need your money. He, he's wanting to do something in your life. Remember, God loves me and wants the best for me. This is huge, friends. The dish belongs to God. And let's be very clear on this. Friends, if you keep the dish, if you keep the tithe, you are stealing from God. That's what Malachi says. Mm. Getting really quiet in this room right now. You know why? Because there is a nerve connected from your wallet to your heart. And anytime we talk about money, it's affecting your heart. See, God is saying, I don't care. I got a trillion casserole dishes. I don't need the stupid casserole dish back. There's a principle in it, though, that God is saying, if you believe that I have given all this to you, and if you trust me, with everything in your life, and if you desire to put me first in your life, then return the dish. Return the tithe. Bring it to God. Hmm. Giving tithe to God, I'll be honest with you, is nothing spectacular. I have people that sometimes come to me and say, I've been tithing for three months. I'm like, yay, that's great. But the dish belongs to God. I'm just being honest with you. The dish belongs to God. All you're doing is giving back to God what God says is his. The tithe belongs to God. Whether you give it back to him or not, it belongs to him. But remember he talked about tithe and offerings. That, that you are dishonoring me in this way. So offerings don't belong to God until you give it to him. Offerings are a little bit different. A tithe is the casserole dish that God has put the casserole in and he sends it to you and you eat all that's in the dish, but then you give it back to him. But offerings, giving offerings is something I do to say thanks to God. So it's kind of like, oh, I think I've got it up here, I do. It's kind of like a thank you note. So Carol has made this incredible dish for us. And 
I realize that this is her dish, not mine to keep, so I give it back to her. And what I do is I include a thank you note in it saying, thank you, Carol, for making this casserole for us. The dish is the tithe, belongs to God. The note is an offering that we give to God, thanking him for all that he has provided. Everybody with me? It's really clear. It's really easy to understand. Offerings are like this thank you note that you would send to someone who brings over that casserole. Offering is something that you do when you are grateful for all that God has done. He doesn't need your money. He wants you to be in relationship with him. He, he wants you to position yourself so that you can get all that he wants to do in your life. God said to the people that you cheated me in two ways, by keeping what is mine and never giving me a thank you of love. And because of this, Malachi 3 verse 9, God says you are under a curse. Wow. Not under blessing, under a curse. Look at it. it says, For your whole nation has been cheating me. People all around us, maybe some in this room, we live this way, not because God is a mean God, but because you choose to miss out on God's blessing. You put yourself under a curse. All too often we choose to miss out on how God wants to bless us. We choose this. So, then God does something. He's saying, I've given you this blessing, this, this casserole, and I'm asking you to bring back the tithe, to return the tithe, the dish to me. Instead, you keep the dish. You keep what is not yours. And you are not grateful for what I have done. You do not give me offerings. You have not written me a thank you note. Because you've done all of this, you are living under curse. And then God does the amazing. Out of grace and out of mercy and out of incredible love that I do not understand, he says to these same people, bring all the tithe into the storehouse so there will be enough food in my temple. If you do, I will open the windows of heaven for you. I will pour out a blessing so great you won't have enough room to take it in. And then he says, I double dog dare you. He says, try it. Put me to the test. Do you know this is the only time in scripture where God says something like that? He says, Bring it. Try it. Prove this. God makes a deal with us. He says, test me. 
Because I want you to realize all the blessing that you can experience. God says, because I want you to grasp all the source of all blessing. I want you to realize that it comes from me. God says, I want you to experience a better way of living, a better way of life than you have right now. God says, let's do an experiment. Test me on this. You start returning the tithe to me and I will prove to you how faithful I am by pouring so much blessing out into your lives that you will not be able to handle it. God says, (laughs) verse 12, then all nations will call you, there it is, blessed. For your land will be such a delight. Your house your family, your job will be such a delight. People will look at you and say, wow, what's different about you? Hmm. We'll experience so much blessing that people around us will notice. And they'll say, hey, how is it you're so blessed? How is it that you have so much joy? How is it that you're so generous? How is it that you sense purpose in your life? How is it that you're so balanced? How is it that you're so whole? Hmm. It opens up a chance to share, doesn't it? To tell people around us. Do, Do you know what God is saying? God is saying, if you return the tithe to him, he's not just going to give you one casserole. He's going to keep them coming and coming and coming and coming. So you will be so overwhelmed with casseroles, you won't know what to do with all of them. Come back next week. We're going to talk about what to do with all the casseroles you have left when God blesses you. Friends, when we return the casserole dish to God, our tithe, we have no idea what God wants to put back in this dish and send our way. When you trust him enough to trust him with your finances, God will blow you away with blessing. I encourage you Send the dish back and see what God can do. See what he wants to do. It all comes down to our choice. How much of God's blessing do I want in my life? That's really the question we have to ask ourselves. How much of God's blessing do I want in my life? And I don't know about you, but I want God to bring on the casseroles I want God to pour out so much blessing that I will not know what to do with it all. How about you? Would you bow your heads with me today? Father God, this is a very real and serious